Should have saw that coming. I walked right into that. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. If you found your way there, let's pray. And then I'll read uh, part of our passage by way of introduction. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the Bible that never changes. Lord, thank you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word remains. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for keeping us safe uh, during the winter weather. Lord, we pray for those who are at home. Keep them safe. Lord, as we enjoy our time here together and then travel back home, keep us safe as well. But thank you for your word that is valuable, that is worth coming to hear. Lord, it's not my thoughts, it's not my words, but it's yours. Lord, help us now as we come to it to be encouraged, to be reminded that though we are weak, Lord, you are strong, and you work in us and through us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to be looking in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at the account of Gideon. Gideon. So let's look at the first few verses here by way of introduction. Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, And leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep, or ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock, and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. One of my favorite things growing up was our pattern on Sunday mornings. We would go to church. And then as we came home, we always ate some sort of brunch or breakfast uh, following church. And my favorite thing my dad would make, he would call it his famous stuff. Literally, it was just hash brown eggs, ham, bacon, just all in one skillet, fried up. It was delicious. But that is, that is, in my thinking, what a meal after Sunday should be, just what I grew up with. And then after that, we would do the dishes and watch football or whatever else was happening But it never failed. At some point, my sister and I would try and gang up on my dad. And my dad would let us win for a little while. But then eventually, by the end of it, it would end up with my dad sitting on top of me, taking my hands, slapping me in the face with my own hands, saying, quit hitting yourself. Quit hitting yourself. It's one of the great blessings of fatherhood, of being able to do that to your children. I do that with Ezra sometimes now. (laughs) I was powerless. He was bigger than me. He was stronger. I could do nothing about it. And in the midst of my giggles, I was helpless. All right, my dad was, was powerful. He was bigger than I was, and I could do nothing to stop it. And this is a, it's a funny story and something that I think as kids, our dads do to us often. But that idea of powerlessness, of not being able to do anything, we laugh at it, but there are other times in our lives when we feel that way in a very real sense, and it's not a fun way, when life is difficult or hard, when there are circumstances that you're powerless to affect, or something is happening in your life, a trial or a circumstance, and you do not feel up to the task. That's human nature. That is the truth of human existence, is there are things in our lives that we would not choose to endure. 
that we would not choose to live through, that we would not choose to face. But yet we are helpless. We are, we are weak. We, we, we feel like we don't have anything or any means in the situation. When you feel like this, you can do absolutely nothing. When you're overwhelmed and have no idea how you can go on. I'm sure we've all felt weak or unprepared for what's ahead. In one sense, that's good. It means we're human. We're alive, right? Life is hard. But as we look here in Judges 6, and as we look at the account of Gideon, this judge, this leader of Israel, ordained by God, we see this big idea that God wants us to know that there is power in weakness. God wants us to know that there is power in weakness. Now, in our minds, that is completely opposite, right? We do not want to give off an air of weakness. We want to give off an air of control, of ability, of power. But to say, I don't know how to handle that, or I don't know, or I can't do that, in a certain sense, we don't want to project that because that means we're weak, we're ineffective, we can't handle it. But yet, as we're honest about our lives and the situations in our life, that's often what we come to. That we are weak, that we are helpless, that we can't do it. So then how is there power in weakness? How can we say that God wants us to know that there is power in weakness? Well, there is power in weakness because of who God is and what he does for us, what he does in us, what he does through us. There is power in weakness. We're going to look here at Judges 6 of Gideon. Many of you are familiar with Gideon and this account of this 300 men, of the putting the fleece out, of how he was called. But yet, as we look at this account, we'll realize how utterly pathetic Gideon was. <laughs> yet how God demonstrated how powerful he was in and through Gideon. So let's look here at Judges chapter 6. If To remind ourselves about the book of Judges, you have the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which takes us from creation up to uh, the nation entering, the nation of Israel entering into the promised land, right? So you go from creation through the patriarchs to Joseph and being taken into Egypt, God calling the nation out of Egypt, them wandering in the wilderness because of their sin, and finally, God is going to take them into the promised land. He does this with Joshua as a leader. That's the, the book of Joshua. Joshua followed Moses. He was a, a warrior king in a sense. Not necessarily a king, but a warrior leader. Led the nation. They took the land. They were established. And there they were. But following Joshua and his departure, there's a downward spiral in the nation of Israel because of their sin. And if you read the book of Judges, you'll see this pattern again and again. It starts with Israel or certain tribes serving the Lord. But then these tribes or the nation falls into sin and idolatry. And because of their sin, Israel is enslaved or tormented by another nation. And then during their enslavement, during the judgment that's begun, they cry out to God and God hears them. So we have Israel being faithful, dissolving into wickedness. God sends another nation to punish them. They cry out 
God redeems him through this judge. Now, a judge, we think of a judge as somebody who sits in a courtroom and makes pronouncements concerning laws. The idea of a judge here is that of an appointed ruler. So this isn't a king, but it's an appointed ruler, a leader by God. And the judges, some of them led certain tribes. It's not that the judges led the entire nation. Some of them led certain tribes or certain areas. Uh, It's a very kind of hodgepodge patchwork book here about these areas that God is working in and through. And so these judges are appointed by God. And in chapter 6, we read here that several of the northern tribes were being harassed by the Midianites. The Midianites were a semi-nomadic people from across the Jordan to the east. And they came, as we've read in verses 1 through 6. They would come in every year, and they would use all the crops and the resources of the Israelites. Um, Midian overpowered Israel, it says in verse 2. They came, and it was scorched earth. They took all the crops, all the, uh, the oxes, the, the, the donkeys, everything, right? They came. They were like locusts, is the words of the author. And it's in- interesting that the idea of a locust coming and devouring the language is similar to that of the ten plagues in Exodus, how the locusts came and devoured uh, the crops of the Egyptians. So Israelite, verse 6, was brought very low because of Midian. And what do the people do? They cry out to the Lord. They are powerless to fight against this neighboring nation. And so the people cry out. What does God do? It's a good verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, The lust says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So rather... Then God's saying, well, I'm going to help you. He reminds them, hey, this is why you're in this situation. Why are the Israelites in this situation? Because they have forsaken God. They've rejected him. They've followed after false idols. They've they've followed after false gods. They have no longer fear God as they were supposed to. And in case any of them say, Well, why should I fear and follow God? What does God remind them of? The Exodus. The Egyptians. Now, no matter how powerful the Amorites, he mentions, or the Midianites are, do you know who was the most powerful nation on earth at the point of the Exodus? The Egyptians. And here is God conquering the Egyptians and leading them out. And he's saying, you guys are being judged again for your sin but remember who i am why have you continued to follow after false gods they have not obeyed god god does not provide immediately deliver but he sends a prophet to remind them of the people why they are in this situation they have disobeyed god even though the lord has taken them from egypt to the promised land i think this is interesting god lets them sit there in their suffering. Now, God is not a God who punishes for the sake of enjoyment. But God uses the trials and the difficulties and our poor choices to remind us and to teach us. 
And that's what he's doing right here. He's humbling the people. He reminds them who he is, and he's saying, but why, again, have you made these choices? But they cried out, and though God rebukes them and is seeking to teach them, he's going to show them grace. This is the situation. Midian and others have oppressed them. They are crying out for deliverance. They are helpless. They are weak. But what does God do? First off, God does. Uh, the first thing that God does in making or in showing them grace is that he is making them powerful. Excuse me, I need, just need to read the sentence I have written. This is the first thing that God does in making power out of weakness. He gives them grace. He gives them unmerited favor. Look at verses 11 and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at uh, Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz, the Abizrite, which his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midians. Midianites. So here is an angel of the Lord coming. Whether this is the pre-incarnate Christ or another messenger of God, there's some discussion, but it's the official messenger of God. And he comes and he sits under a tree in a specific location. And Gideon was this man who was there who was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, a wine press would have been dug into the ground. It would have been a very low spot. And he's beating out the wheat. He's separating the chaff uh, from, from the actual seed there to, uh, to use the crop. And he's doing it in the wine press to hide. He, he's, he's not doing it because it's, it's functional. He's doing it because he's afraid to hide it from the Midianites. He's hiding. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, you need to see the sarcasm and the irony here. Gideon is not a man of valor. What is Gideon doing? He's hiding from the Midianites and a hole in the ground. He's not a mighty man of valor. <laughs> uh, it's like when, uh, when <laughs> Ezra walks up, and he can't do something, or he can't carry something. I'm like, come on, strong man, you can do it. No, it's, 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 a, it's a term used to demonstrate how utterly powerless he is. Gideon is not a man of valor. He is hiding. But yet God calls him this mighty man of valor. It's amazing. God chooses Gideon. Gideon did not deserve to be chosen. He was not the leader of any group of soldiers or of, of any of the tribes. He's just a man here. God was going to use Gideon to accomplish what he wanted. Gideon was a mighty man of valor, not because of himself, but because of God who's going to use him showing him his grace. Every provision of a judge in the book of Judges is an act of God's grace because God could have just judged the nation, yet he continued to show his grace to them by sending them these leaders to help them. The reason we have power and weakness begins with God's grace. God's grace does God need us to accomplish his plans? No. Did he need Gideon? No. Do we deserve the provision of the grace of God that he gives to us? No. Absolutely not. But yet God 
does so. We already read this from 2 Corinthians 12, but it's so important. Paul was afflicted. Paul had a difficult circumstance. He had a thorn in the flesh, and there's a lot of discussions of what that could be. But whatever it was, it was an annoyance. It was a source of difficulty in the life of Paul. We all have things like that. We might have people like that. We might have health things like that. Something that we've prayed again and again for God to take care of or to fix or to change, but yet he doesn't. And what does Paul say? He says, my grace, this is God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And that idea of made perfect means is the idea of it's displayed in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul understands the purpose of his weaknesses. They are to cause him to rely upon God and his grace and his unmerited favor. And the power of Christ rests upon him. God gives us grace. We have power and weakness because God is glorified when we are weak. When we realize we don't deserve anything from God, yet he gives it to us. We worship him and he gets the glory. The second thing God does in making power out of weakness is overlooking our weaknesses and our shortcomings. <laughs> he overlooks them in a sense that he works in spite of them. Look at verses 13 and 15. Gideon had excuses. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did he not bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Again, notice what Gideon says. Who has forsaken who? Gideon says that the Lord has forsaken them. But who did the forsaking first? The nation did. Their weaknesses, their failings, their excuses. Gideon makes an excuse. Look at verses 17 and 18. Or excuse me, look, look at verse 15. Gideon responds again, and he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Here's another excuse. Lord, you, for, you forsook us. Well, no, that's not the case. And Lord, how could you use me? I'm the weakest. Gideon has all kinds of things that he brought up to excuse himself and God from doing what God was going to do. Most of us would say the same things in different ways. God, how could you? God, I can't do this because of this, this, this. God, this, I can't, you know, we give all these excuses of why we should or shouldn't do something or why we don't deserve this, so on and so forth. Gideon had excuses. Gideon failed. He fell short. Verses 17 and 18. This is Gideon saying to him again, if I now have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Please do not depart, excuse me, depart from me here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. Look ahead at verse 27 again. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. 
Now, these are just two examples of Gideon falling short. Gideon, first of all, did not believe the messenger. He needed proof. So what does he do? Right? What does he put out before the Lord? A fleece. A fleece. He wants it dry with the ground wet. And then he wants the fleece wet with the ground dry. And we see him so afraid of what the God said that he was going to do that he did it by night. Again and again, we see Gideon falling short in this account. The fleece is in verses 36 to 40 there uh, before chapter 7. Gideon was afraid. He needed proof. But yet Gideon fell short. He fell short. And Gideon doubted God. That's the sign of the fleece in verses 36 through 40. Gideon sets out the fleece. He wants it wet, then he doesn't. He doubted what God was going to do. Now, God did not have to condescend to Gideon's request at all. God could say, Gideon, I'm going to do this regardless of what you want from me. But yet God condescends and shows himself faithful to work through Gideon and to acquiesce his requests. Think of these three things. Gideon had excuses. He fell short. God asks him to destroy this, this altar, but yet he fails him right away. Gideon wanted proof again and again. He doubted God. I don't know about you, but that sounds like my life from time to time. I make excuses. God, you want me to do this? How can you, how can you have me do this? Why do you want me to do this? God, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. God, I don't think you can help me through this. I'm, I'm doubting you. Or we, okay, I can do this, God, but we, 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 we fail. We only go halfway. You're not alone if you would say that's you. What about Abraham? Did Abraham doubt God? Yes. How many times did he try to pass off his wife off as his sister? A couple times. <laughs> not good. <laughs> Moses. Did Moses doubt God? How can I do this, God? I, I'm, I'm slow of speech. Right? And then in the wilderness, he's out of anger. He struck the rock twice. David. David failed. He sinned against God. And so is the course of the history through the nation of Israel. And so it continues with us. We make excuses. We fall short. We doubt God. Even though in the back of our minds we know who God is and what he can do, but yet we doubt him. But God loves using the weak and frail and foolish things to bring him glory. He loves it. Making power out of weakness is overlooking our weaknesses. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 25 through 27 says this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Not that God is foolish, but Paul is using this extreme example. That in the category of God's wisdom, even God's foolishness is so much wiser than the wisest of men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. <clears throat> Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God demonstrates his power, his ability in our lives through using weak and foolish vessels like us. What excuses are you making? What doubts do you have? How have you fallen short? It's okay. God's not done with you. God can still work in you and through you in spite of those failings. And God uses those things often to bring glory to himself. God overlooks our weakness to make us powerful through his work. And thirdly, the third thing that God does in making the weak powerful is he ultimately strengthens us. He strengthens us. God gives us strength. Gideon, how did Gideon succeed? Where did he find his strength? Look what the angel says here in verse 14. Gideon makes these excuses. The Lord, that is the angel, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Gideon is to go, and who is going with him? The Lord. Verse 16. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. The Lord is saying, again, Gideon, remember, who is with you? Who's making you powerful? I am. Verse 23. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. God again and again is strengthening Gideon for the plan that he has for him. Gideon would have God with him to give him the victory. God gives us strength through his presence. As New Testament believers, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We have God living inside of us. We are given God's word to strengthen and to guide us. And most importantly, we have experienced God with us, Jesus Christ. At the end of Matthew, we are told that Christ is always with us, right? In the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, teaching, baptizing. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The strength of God is found in the presence of God. We are in the presence of, the God, of God when we read his word. The word of God is powerful. It's living and active, right? We are given the Spirit. In John 17 and Ephesians 1, we need not fear. And when we are in Christ, as we're looking at, starting to look at in the book of Colossians, we know that through the difficulties that we face, God gives us strength. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Who's the him? Well, it's Jesus. And what are the things that we're facing? It's the good times. It's the hard times. It's the difficulties. It's the frustrations. It's the, I really want to respond in this sinful way, but God, you're giving me the strength to respond in a godly way. God, I don't know how I'm going to face this loss of a loved one this medical diagnosis, this difficult circumstance, this unrepaired relationship, but yet God gives us grace through Christ. He gives us strength. I love, again, the phrases that God uses to Gideon. I will be with you. I will be with you. One commentator says this. Basically, God has nothing else or more to offer you. You can go through a lot with that promise. It does not answer your questions about details. It is only provides the essential. Nothing about when or how or where or why. One, the what, or better, the who. 
What is this phrase? But I will be with you. I will be with you, God says. And that is enough. Gideon doubted God. He failed him, but yet God used him in an amazing way in spite of his weaknesses. Why do we doubt the promises of God? Why do we doubt his strength? Why do we make these excuses and question God when difficult things happen? We are often like Gideon in this sense. We fail and falter and fall short. We doubt, we fear, we don't trust. Yet God chooses to show us grace, to overlook our failings and to strengthen us. And ultimately, he's done this through Christ. You and I will fail. You and I fall short. Gideon fell short. Every human individual fails, falters, falls short, sins, except for one, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the faithful one, even faithful to the point of death, death on a cross. And as Christ was faithful to God and fulfilled everything that God called him to do, his Father, and as he was perfect, we receive that perfection through our faith in him. And though we are weak, we can be strong because of Jesus Christ. God gives us power and strength through the redemption that we have. We are all weak. We are all sinners. We all fall short. We are powerless, yet God gives us strength and power and endurance and the ability to continue on because of Jesus and what he gives us. Through the cross, sin has been defeated Death has been defeated and the devil has been defeated. We are weak. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessel, the earthen clay pot. It shatters when you throw it on the ground. But yet the hope that we have in Christ does not shatter. God uses the weak, foolish things even in the face of difficulties. So today, you may feel weak. Good news, we are all weak. <laughs> we all falter. We all fail. We all don't measure up in our own mind, right? But know this, though we are prone to doubt God and not trust him, God does not forsake us. He does not wash his hands of us. But what has he done? He's provided his son for us. Let us rejoice that God gives us the grace we need to carry on. He overlooks our weaknesses. He strengthens us with his presence. I am weak. That's okay because my God is strong. And do you know what the amazing thing is? That brings God glory. When we say, I cannot face this without God. That's not a cop-out. That's not a coping mechanism. That's the reality that without Christ I would fail and falter and not be able to endure this life. But when we recognize that and humble ourselves and cry out in weakness, God strengthens us and it brings him glory. As Gideon remarked, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am least in my father's house. Have you ever felt the least in your father's house? The least just in general? But what does the Lord say to him? But I will be with you. Does it mean all the problems go away? 
that we're going to have the ability to change things to just how we want them. But yet through these things and the circumstances of life, we can continue on in faith because we know the Lord is with us. and He gives us the strength to endure, to carry on, to trust Him, and ultimately to bring Him glory. Let us give thanks for the grace that God gives to us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failings, that He gives us strength to carry on. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the hope that He brings. Lord, as we rejoice this morning, as we think of all that You've done for us in Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank You for the hope that is present even in the midst of difficulties. Lord, give us the strength that in a worldly sense would say, how can we endure this? But yet with you, we know we can. Lord, above all, we thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross for us. I pray for those here who may not know Christ, that they would put their faith and trust in him today. For those of us who do know Christ as our Savior, help us to continue on in faith and joy and satisfaction in following him. We pray in his name.